Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. This is always a joyous podcast to record as we reflect on new life, new possibilities, the fact that the world uh, has never been the same since that day many, many years ago, and yet it is still as fresh uh, as if it happened yesterday. So, the text we'll be reading is the classic one that we read for Easter Sunday, John 20, 1 through 18. So listen to these words. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead." Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The word of God for the people of God. And may this word strengthen and nourish us in all our days. So a few years ago, we were in the process of, uh, or we were at a place in our lives, in our family's lives, where we did not have a dog, which is a pretty rare thing because my wife and I had uh, got a dog before our kids were born, a border collie mix named Stella, and Stella was uh, with us for several years. The kids were had known Stella for all of their lives until uh, about four summers ago, four or five summers ago, when uh, Stella, who was 13, had a really wonderful long life uh, and had had some medical complications and we had to put her down. So we went a full year without a dog. There was a part of me that actually didn't mind it, the walks and taking care of the dog and all these other things. But at probably about nine months into our doglessness, uh, my family, particularly my daughter, started to make some entreaties that it was time to get another dog. And she would drop hints, she'd drop hints here and there uh, that I would receive, but also not really be on board with it. And I was getting used to our family being without a dog. And uh, Caroline started to get more insistent until at one point she was 
feels like she was saying something every day. And in fact, there's a picture that I will show up on the screen at our uh, service, and I'll put this up on the Podbean page. She put a post-it note, or she started putting post-it notes all around the house, including she put one one morning. I opened up the refrigerator, and she had attached a post-it note saying simply, we need a dog on the milk. Clearly, she wanted to make her point uh, or get her point across. She was trying to influence me and, in a sense, perhaps even convert me to getting a dog again. We all like to have some influence in our lives. We want people to experience something or someone we like, whether it's a pet or a political candidate or a cheeseburger. At the same time, we may be leery of people trying to have an influence on us, hence the rise of what's called siloing, where we get our information from sources similar to what we already believe. We don't usually like or use the word conversion in these instances, but this may be another way of talking about it. And when it comes to faith, conversion can be a loaded term. Churches may talk about conversions in a negative sense, almost as if it sounds like we are turning people against their will to believe something that they know in their heart isn't quite true. We've had numerous LGBT persons at Urban Village talk about their experiences of conversion therapy. This often happens in particularly uh, very conservative faith communities where they believe that anyone who has any kind of same-sex attractions can go through some kind of therapy to be converted. And again, we've had many, heard many, many stories of how much that harms individuals. And so when we use that, that word, it's understandable that, that others want to steer clear of it. And so if that's the case, then we may decide, I believe what I believe, and I'm not changing. I'm not willing to or wanting to be converted at all to anything. The problem arises if we get so set in our ways that we become like our friend from the book of Ecclesiastes, what we read in the Hebrew scriptures of the Bible. You may know this verse. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. In other words, been there, done that. I know what I need to know. And then we believe that we don't open ourselves up, or in the process, we don't open ourselves up to seeing and experiencing a new thing. We believe a certain thing. And woe to anyone who tries to change us or convert us or get us to turn away from whatever it is that we believe. Easter, however, is a problem for those who have that stance. Easter should make us think differently. Easter is a perpetual reminder that we have to take nothing for granted, that we can assume nothing. Because the one thing that we thought was certain, death, turned out to not be the case. So let's take a look at this story. Mary, we read, start off with Mary, and it begins with, as the scholar Martin Marty notes, a hopeless memorial act for the dead Jesus. John does not tell us the purpose of this visit. The Gospel of Mark says that women had brought bought spices so they might go and anoint him. So Mary perhaps is coming to make sure that Jesus' body has been properly prepared, maybe to grieve, show her respects to a man whose death has wounded her deeply. 
As she approaches, she notices that the stone has been rolled away and assumes grave robbers, which was not unheard of at the time, or maybe that the authorities wanted to visit one further indignity on Jesus and so took him away. So she goes to tell other disciples. And the text tells us that two race each other to the tomb. One of the disciples, not named, reaches first. Peter comes in second, but he goes in first, goes into the tomb first. The other disciple follows Peter. And then the text tells us that this other disciple sees and he believes. Now, we see different kinds of conversions in this story today. I'm going to focus most of my attention on Mary, but here is another first kind of conversion. And this is a person uh, that we can liken today to people who have a deep, deep faith and trust that I think sometimes is admirable, who will believe something, see something, and just believe it because they trust in the person, or they trust in God so deeply, and they say, this is what it is. Now, sometimes we might call them naive, or maybe we might disparage them by saying, oh, they're just drinking the Kool-Aid. But I think sometimes these kinds of folks who have this kind of conversion, who just believe, are needed in our world and in our own faith. I saw an example of this just a couple of days ago. Some of you may know who are fans of the uh, Star Wars uh, Empire, that the new trailer came out for the Star Wars movie that's coming out this Christmas, The Last Jedi. And my son is a huge Star Wars fan. And so when I saw that the new trailer had come out, we huddled around my phone to to watch it. I'm sure he's probably watched it numerous times since then. And you can uh, probably guess that Twitter exploded with people making all kinds of comments. But as I was reading through some of the examples, it struck me the number of people who were saying essentially, this is the best movie ever. And they've only seen two minutes of it. They see and they believe because they trust in this entity, the Star Wars uh, entity. They're not exactly sure what they believe, but they are so wanting to go there that this is going to change my life, that they'll go on to all kinds of social media and proclaim their love for this thing that has not yet been actually seen yet. This is the kind of faith that this one disciple has. But it's not quite the faith necessarily that that Mary has, because she's still confused. And I think probably many of us would be in Mary's boat. What's happening here? Jesus is missing. The disciples are acting weirdly, and then they leave again. So now Mary is left alone again with her thoughts, not sure what to do. What struck me next is something that I had never noticed. I've read this passage so many times, and I've preached so many sermons on this John text, but this week I noticed something new for the first time, and this is what I love about the scriptures, is that you can always find something new, that the Holy Spirit is always doing something new to um, highlight a word or a phrase that makes you and takes you even deeper into the text. So I want to go back to verse 13, the angels, it says there's some angels here who are at the scene. Mary doesn't exactly know who they are, But they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she says to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So again, the disciple sees and believes something. We're not exactly sure what he believes. He may not even know, but he believes something. Mary's not quite there yet. 
So she's not exactly sure what's going on. And then verse 14 says this. When she had said this, now pay attention here. When she had said this, the text tells us she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. It was almost like I was playing a game of, uh, or uh, some sort of detective story in my mind this week as I was trying to put this together in my head. So she's looking into the tomb, perhaps, looking at the angels. She turns around and now is face-to-face, as I'm envisioning it, looking at Jesus. She didn't know it was Jesus, but still, I think we can assume, perhaps, that she is now facing Jesus. This is the first turning. Now, Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Mary thinks he's the gardener. She says to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, I think we have to assume, don't we, that at least Mary is turning as she, that first turn that she's now facing Jesus, thinking he's the gardener. She may be looking away or something like that, but in my mind, I have to think she's, she's, she's facing him, that his body is lined up and facing him. And then Jesus says to her, Mary, he says her name. He says her name, and the scales fall from her eyes. And then, did you notice, verse 16, it says, She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. She recognizes him. Now, the thing that strikes me, and I wondered, was this second time, it says she turned. Now, would she turn away from him and say, Rabunai? That doesn't make any sense. I don't exactly know what what the author is saying here, but in my own mind, I thought, She turned. She changed. Everything in her mind and heart and life turned. She believed that death had the final word in this story. She was going to memorialize this man that she followed and loved deeply. This is what she believed in her mind, understandably so. But once Jesus said her name and all of the pieces began to be put together in her mind, she turned, she changed, she was willing to believe. She may have been at that place in her life where she thought, this is the way life is. People die and that's the end of it. And I don't know what to do or how to go on. But instead, there's this second turning. She's willing able, open to believing something different, to fully believing something different. She wants to hold on to him. And Jesus says, not yet. Instead, go and tell the good news, which she does. This turning has transformed her life. And she is, friends, it is a woman It is a woman who is the first to share this good news. I have seen the Lord. Her turning has changed everything, and she has to tell everybody about it. So then the question is, will we follow in Mary's footsteps? Are we willing to turn Are we willing to be converted? Are we willing to change? Are we willing to have our hearts be transformed? Are we willing to believe that anything is possible in this world? Or are we like the man from Ecclesiastes saying, nothing new is under the sun. Whatever will be, will be. 
if we at all believe in this Easter story, we must be like Mary and be willing to be turned, to believe that new things are possible in all kinds of different situations and scenarios. I want to tell two just brief stories of interesting turnings that I've experienced in my own ministry. The first happened in a previous church where I pastored with a woman named Susan. Susan had just moved to the area. Both suburbs that I have served before starting Urban Village uh, are were both fairly affluent uh, suburbs. There's a real pressure uh, when you live in these suburbs and you're trying to raise a family and of trying to keep up with the Joneses and that your child must always just do things just right to get into the great preschools. And then so your, your kids are involved in lots of activities and that they're getting good grades. And this woman named Susan was raising her two children and feeling, I think, that pressure and at times not sure what to do in her life was feeling a little aimless and wondering where to turn, where to, to put her hope and she was living close to our church. And one year, our church sent out a mass mailing of postcards publicizing our church and that Easter was, was coming. It just so happened that as we mailed that, she was having a conversation with her son, who was probably seven or eight at the time. And she, he was asking questions about Jesus. They'd never really gone to church before. And I don't think she really, maybe of all the things that she was trying to figure out, where do I put my hope and my purpose as I'm trying to survive in this suburb? Do I put it in faith? In addition to looking at other things, where to put her faith? And her son came to her one day, her son who was enamored of horror movies and had heard and read a little bit about Jesus. And she came, he came to his mom and said, mom, I have a question for you. And she said, yes. She said, is Jesus a zombie? He wanted to know. Coming back from the dead, walking around, talking, makes all the perfect sense of the world. And she knew that was like a sign from God, she told me later, that I think I need to get this kid to church. That next day, the postcard that we mailed out came to their home. And she said, I'm going to check out this church. And she came. And she came again. And the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and her life began to turn. She didn't know where to put her hope in the pressures of growing up in this suburb or raising her kids in this particular suburb. And it was in this man that her son thought might be a zombie, but instead, hopefully, she learned from our church that he is much more than that. She turned, was willing to be turned in her life to put her hope and purpose in something beyond just trying to keep up with the Joneses. The other story is a man that many, some may know at our own church at Urban Village. Uh, several months ago, a new couple started attending our church, Terry and Eric. Terry and Eric just recently moved to Chicago within the last year from Canada. Terry's job uh, took them to Chicago. They moved to Chicago, and Eric is a retired uh, firefighter. And so if you tried to imagine what a Canadian firefighter looks like, I think you would imagine Eric. He's this big guy. Uh, and when you shake his hand, his hand just engulfs your own hand, and yet just gregarious and full of life. But he was 
certainly at this place, he's not that old. He retired and was wondering, what's next for me? My wife has this great job and we're living in downtown Chicago. And so what's next for me? And so they started coming to church and I had lunch with Terry and Eric. And Terry has more of an experience of growing up in church. Eric did not have much of an experience with that, but they started coming. And every once in a while, the more that they came together or came to church, Eric would sometimes pull me aside after worship or at a social gathering. He'd pull me aside and he'd ask questions and he'd, he'd express his appreciation for the ways that we were communicating what the gospel meant. And I would think to myself, well, this, I, I fell into the trap of there's nothing new under the sun. I fell into the trap of Ecclesiastes a little bit. Eric's like, something's here. Something's happening. I'm not exactly sure what it is. And he would confess his really not knowing a whole lot about the Bible. And I think he felt a little self-conscious about that. But yet something was stirring within him. And so he would ask me questions and express a desire to want to begin to to learn a little bit. And I would say, that's great. And there would be a little bit of myself that was surprised by this because I had just so gotten used to the the good news of the gospel that when someone's life actually started to change a bit, I'd say, wow, really? And it was such a wonderful reminder for me. And now in the last, in recent weeks, Eric's mother, has, her health has taken a turn for the worst. And as we speak, Terry and Eric are in Toronto. His uh, mother is in a hospital there and is essentially is getting hospice care. And so her time with us is, is drawing to a close. And Eric's understandably is going through all the emotions that someone goes through when someone is dying, a loved one is, is dying. And Terry sent me an email this week saying that the chaplain has been so helpful for us at the hospital that Eric has reached out. Eric has turned to the chaplain and Terry said, Eric would never have done that before. This turning that Eric is going through, turning toward God, turning toward experiencing and questioning and wondering what does death mean? And is there something beyond? And I think perhaps there is a glimmer of hope and life in his own life as he starts this process of turning to try to figure out what that might be. And his story has been inspiring for me as I think to myself, am I turning? Am I willing to be turned or do I get so stuck in my own way and think, well, this is the way it is and nothing can be done. And so this Sunday at at our church, we're giving out U-turn buttons, buttons that signify the road sign U-turn as a reminder for us to, to be able and willing to believe that anything is possible, to turn to always every single day be willing to that God might turn us to a new way of thinking, to turn us to experiencing that anything is possible, to turn that there is hope in our life, to turn to hope and pray and believe that could it be that peace in the Korean peninsula is possible? Could it be that there is and can be hope and new life in the Englewood neighborhood of Chicago? Can it be that there can be death overturned in Arkansas and that we can see new life there? And we get so jaded, understandably so, so jaded, and we see our politicians turn against those who are most vulnerable society, and we get so angry, and our, our hearts clench up and think this is the way it is, and so we try to escape that, or we just believe nothing's going to change again, and we get into our silo, and that closes us off from the possible. It closes us off from the willingness to turn in our own lives, 
and believe that with God anything is possible, that with God and with people of hope who are willing to stand up for justice and love and grace, that anything is possible. That's the message of Easter. Not only that death has been defeated, but that new life is with us always. And so the question is for you, friends, in your own hearts and lives, are you willing to be turned, to turn toward God, a God who defeated the one thing in life that is certain and said, "Mm -mm, new life, this is the new normal, this is the new way. May God take our hearts and turn us to the possible. And may we live into that Easter faith every day of our lives. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to the podcast once again. A couple quick announcements. It's going to be a couple weeks before I put out another one. I'm actually going... Speaking of the Korean Peninsula, I'm going to South Korea this week, so keep me in your prayers. This is with uh, our church, with the United Methodist Church. We're going with a team of folks to learn and experience uh, uh, the Methodist Church in in Seoul and the surrounding areas. And so I'll be gone for about eight days for that, and then we'll be just getting back. So there are a couple of weeks, so I will not be preaching. So uh, I will be back uh, on May 7th for that week, and we'll be uh, recording a podcast then. Also some news that will be happening later in May. I'll be, if everything goes according to plan, starting a new podcast. Some of you may have heard that a book that I wrote is coming out in early June called Failing Boldly, and I'm starting a new podcast where I interview individuals about their own failures and failure stories, both from the faith world and the non-faith world. And so I'm looking forward to that. I've already got some really interesting folks lined up for interviews. So more information about that will be coming. But hopefully the uh, first few podcasts will be released probably in late May is my hope. So, friends, we are Easter people. And so may this Easter message of hope and new life be yours this day and always. Amen. Bye now.